Unfortunately, only about 4% of the world has what they would call great jobs, like great work, like work that they are enamored with. Those are my words, not their words, but work that they really legitimately, dare I say, enjoy. Mm -hmm. So the bar is really, truly low, which means the expectations are low too. Very often when we work with people at our company, they're surprised because we're very focused on how can we help people first and foremost, identify what their version of extraordinary is. Welcome back to the Career Therapy Podcast, where we help you navigate the emotional and promotional sides of the job search and change careers with confidence. My name is Martin McGovern, founder and lead coach at Career Therapy, and I'm excited to introduce our guest today. Please welcome Scott Anthony Barlow to the podcast. Scott Anthony Barlow is the founder and CEO of Happen to Your Career, where he and his team have been working since 2012 to help others make successful career changes and do meaningful work. In today's conversation, we discuss the unconventional approaches you can take to find unicorn job opportunities, what questions you can ask yourself in order to align your values with your career, and what strategies you can implement to make your job search less robotic and more human in order to improve your career outcomes. Thank you for tuning into the Career Therapy Podcast. If you like this show, please leave us a review on iTunes or share this episode with a friend. And for now, settle in for our conversation with Scott Anthony Barlow. All right, Scott, I really appreciate you taking the time to chat with us today. Um, you know, before the call, you and I were, were talking about a couple of really cool things uh, in regards to the work that you do and the people that you help. And you mentioned some really cool words here, and I want to just dig right into them. Uh, the idea of unicorn opportunities and you know, you throw out the word uh, mythical opportunities that are not supposed <laughs> to happen. And it's just such a, it's, I think, such a cool mindset around careers, because I think sometimes we have this very limited view of what our lives and our careers could be. And I, I would even say some people that I talk to have sort of a, a, a career is not even supposed to be fun. It's supposed to be <laughs> miserable in some ways. And I'm kind of curious when you, when you're talking with people about what their career could be, and you have this sort of unicorn opportunity approach, what does that actually look like in practice? And what sort of career transitions um, have you sort of seen happen that really maybe blew your mind? Yeah, absolutely. And I think that what you, what you said is very true. First of all, the bar is very low, like <laughs> my last name, I suppose. But, you know, when we, we look at, say, Gallup statistics, there's an organization that everybody's heard of, not everybody's sure what they do, but they've amassed a huge amount of data, particularly around those, those factors that have to do with quality of life and work. And if you really dig into their data, unfortunately, only about 4% of the world has what they would call great jobs, like great work, like work that they are enamored with. Those are my words, not their words, but work that they really legitimately, dare I say, enjoy. Mm. So the bar is really, truly low, which means the expectations are low too. Also, at the same time, to answer your question, when, you know, very often when we work with people at, uh, at our company happen to your career or when people hear, you know, our podcast. So it also called happen to your career, then they're surprised because we're very focused on how can we help people first and foremost, identify what their version of extraordinary is, which there's, <laughs> you know, you mentioned those unicorn opportunities and a really simple way to think about unicorn type of opportunities as it relates to work are those opportunities that are not supposed to be real, right? They're impossible. They're mythical. They're like a unicorn. It's like catching a unicorn, right? So, and that very much is those 4% of what almost no one has in the entire world. And I want to change that. I badly want to change that because I've seen the benefit of people having work that does fit them or does fit their version 
of extraordinary or their version of ideal. It ranges from health benefits. It ranges to uh, more productivity. It ranges to just a drastically different quality of life. So to more directly answer your question, yeah, very often that does not necessarily mean like I'm going to go from accountant to beekeeper, mm-hmm. you know, that is a lot of people believe that that is meaning I'm going to go from like this, you know, whatever I'm doing normally, like I, you know, run in spreadsheets and pivot tables and everything else to something that is drastically, uh, unrecognizably different in so many different ways. And that's not what we're talking about when we say unicorn opportunity. In fact, Many times we're talking about the things that matter so much more. Uh, Those things like, hey, is it providing the right type of growth for you that really allows you to grow in in a way that's healthy, but also potentially enjoyable or more fulfilling for you? Is it working for the way that you want to build a life. You know, if, if you have kids and you're traveling, you know, 89% of the time, that's not necessarily particularly great. Or, uh, if you, if you want to be traveling, you know, 90% (laughs) of the time and uh, your job is keeping you in a cubicle, that's not necessarily that helpful either. Right. So part of it, part of unicorn opportunity is establishing what really is that ideal for you. So here's a couple examples, because that's what you asked for, right? So one in one in particular, I think about Laura. Laura was, you know, in her situation, she was already pretty well paid. She was a, uh, she worked in sustainability. You know, she actually led a you know, pretty sizable team uh, overall. And she had moved up the ladder pretty rapidly over about eight years or so. The problem was she was really very, very, very bored, very bored, so bored. (laughs) You know, she had moved up rapidly and then was no longer experiencing the type of growth. Uh, And what was even worse, this sounds kind of crazy. She was surrounded by all these people who actually really did uh, have some amount of passion for their, their job. So she felt like she was coming in every single day and basically faking it, right? You ever been in that situation? Oh yeah. Where? Oh yeah. There's so so <laughs> many situations like that, and I it, I really like that you're digging into like the non-visible things because I do think that you know we get so caught up in titles or dream-like positions or like yeah. so, what what I might consider like social media <laughs> um, like views of what what this like big success could be, but you're you're really honing in on. No, it's like your emotional state when you're there. It's it's the context, it's the environment, it's the value system, it's the people, like really digging into those pieces. So what ended up happening when she realized that she was bored? So in her case, she had she'd also had the realization at the same time that she'd been feeling this way for not like a month, but like almost three years. Mm-hmm. So she has stayed in this role for almost three years. And there's so many reasons that we, we stay in roles, first of all, uh, because we think it's going to get better. We go on the career roller coaster where, you know, one day it's, it's wonderful. And the next seven days it's not. And then we're like, it's looking up again, but she'd stayed in this role for almost three years. And then finally came to the realization that, okay, like I can't do this anymore. If I'm going to, she just recently had a, had her first kid was, uh, was at that point in time saying, okay, like if I'm going to leave every day, which she wanted to, she wanted to work. I want to go do something that actually matters to me. And so she started recognizing that, but at the time really didn't know what that was, which I think is honestly the biggest challenge for most people. We have had the benefit where we've been doing this work for 10 years at this point, And we see a lot of the same patterns now that we've been able to really dig into the data for you know 10 plus years and we see over and over again that most of the time we'll make a career change initially instead of going and identifying hey here's what i would really want to be doing here's how i would really want to do it here's the type of people i would really want to do it with and all of the other parts that make up a potentially very fulfilling career will instead say well i wonder if it's the industry 
or I wonder if it's the company, would it be better at a different company? And then, so you, I bet you've seen this too, like where then, and I've done this, I've, I've been, I've also been guilty of this, where then you make the change and then only the names and, you know, company plaques and signs and everything have changed, but it's the same situation, right? Yeah, you so, you'd almost buy into that uh, mission statement a little too much and <laughs> then realize a lot of workplaces are very similar. <laughs> yeah, and I think really what makes the difference, and in Laura's case, you know, she decided, okay, I'm not going to do that. I really want to identify what creates ideal work for me and what that specifically means to me. And one of the things that we've learned over the years is that what is wonderful for me is not great for, for you. There are some elements that we need as humans. Like we all need to be able to create. We don't necessarily uh, identify with the same things as creativity. For some people that's like dancing and painting. And for other people that is like creatively solving complex business problems. Like those are drastically different, but we all have this human need to create and it shows up in very, very different ways. So in Laura's case, she had said, okay, I want to do this right. I don't want to be in the same situation again, six months from now when the honeymoon period wears off. And I have realized I'm no longer excited about that. So we started working with her to identify what, what creates amazing situation. Now, fast forward a little bit. Uh, she had ended up identifying, well, the type of work matters a lot for her, but also the type of organization and what work, what specifically work they're doing. Um, you could argue that, you know, part of that is about the mission, but for her, it was actually more about the, uh, what is the, the change that the, the organization is actually doing. So she had developed, uh, basically four different types of positions four different types of roles, we call them that were interesting to her. Two of those examples were innovation. Another example was a product manager, right? So we started helping her design experiments to be able to test out these four, because what she didn't want to do is go and have that honeymoon period experience. Like I get there, I do all the work to make a career change. It takes months. And, and then to get there, the honeymoon period wears off and it's like, boom, I got to do this again. This sucks. I was wrong. Okay. No good. That's not good for anybody. Not good for the company. Not good for her. So at this point, here's, here's what we did. We did what we call we've, we see tons and tons and tons of different experiments. But one of the more common ones is the one that Laura used, which is the social Goldilocks. So this is where we go and talk to a large amount of people over a relatively short time period in order to gather information about what types of roles or what types of organizations or other something else that we're testing might be right for her in, in this situation. So uh, she found a bunch of people that were working in innovation, a bunch of people that were working in product management, and we reached out to them to be able to have really super short, what we call test drive conversations. A lot of people think, you know, informational style interview, slight difference. Often these are a lot shorter. Often these are a lot more targeted and these are not, not at all with the pretext of, I want a job at your company. This is very much exploratory to legitimately learn. Um, so she did this and, you know, fast forward again, and she learned that, well, first of all, people are way more willing to help than, than what she thought. Have you seen that too? This is something I hear over yeah. and over and over again. Like, well, and it, and it digs into another part, which is just this yeah. concept that we're so, we're so worried that we're going to what people keep saying to me is bother people. Yes. And I'm like, yep. If someone's exactly. bothered, they just won't respond. <laughs> it's okay. Like yeah. that's a perfectly fine outcome. If we just, you know, know what the goal is here. And I like that you said, it's not under the pretext of getting a job. It's that exploratory investigative kind of approach. And, you know, I think that there's so much in this like social Goldilocks piece that I think, first of all, great name. <laughs> Second of all, um, just that you can do so much in such a short period of time. But I think people are, maybe it's a Midwest thing. Maybe it's an, I don't I don't even know. Maybe it's just like a, a an insecurity fear-based thing. But what are some of the emotions that people, that you've seen people have to contend with as you sort of push them in these 
a bit extroverted <laughs> uh, directions. Yeah, yeah. And I think they do seem extroverted. What I find is that in reality, they the actual behaviors are less extroverted and more calculated than what it sounds like initially. Mm -hmm. So first question first, like what are the emotions? Uh, you identified a few, like you go through like, I, I just don't, I don't wanna bother. Like that's, it comes from insecurity. It comes from fear of rejection. It comes from what happens if they say no, it comes from all of those places, right? Which I get it. Like I, I'm, I'm an introvert. Like I, <laughs> I learned to, I guess Same. you could say cold call Same. like at a very young age, <laughs> but that doesn't necessarily mean that, that, you know, don't go through those, those same array of emotions. What does happen though, is as you push yourself through some of those and outside those comfort boundaries, then you experience what Laura was able to experience, which is that most people truly are willing to help if you ask in the right way. So I'll give you some examples of not just how Laura asked, but how we've had a lot of people conduct this type of experiment. And again, this is just one of many, many, many different ways to experiment because the important part is like, after we get done deciding what we believe our ideal version of our career is, after we do that, we, we help people develop what we call an ideal career profile. That is just a guess. It's a highly educated guess at that point, which that's what Laura had. She had, you know, layered it down to a few ways she was interested in pursuing work. But now at this point, the most important part is we have to validate that in the real world to avoid that honeymoon disaster. So she, here's, here's something that she did super, super easy. Uh, first of all, she leveraged anybody that already knew somebody at other organizations. So she leveraged friends, family to make introductions. However, she didn't do what almost everyone does for introductions, uh, which is say, Hey, could you introduce me to this person over here? Like, that would be awesome. Yes. <laughs> Instead. And I mean, we don't do it exactly that way, but like we sort of leave it to them. So we actually coached her to instead focus on how could we make it easy for the other person? So what we would have her do is we would have her write the email, say, okay, you know, would you be willing to introduce me at this person or at, over at this, uh, this organization, this person at this organization? And uh, I said, okay, here's what I can do. I'll email you a, uh, an example of a note that you can send. You can modify it. You can copy and paste it. You can do whatever you want, whatever's easy. And then we'd send over being really ridiculously helpful the, uh, that, that email so that then they could literally just like copy and paste it and put it in there and then make the intro. Or they could change it to suit however they wanted to send it. Uh, so it's a tiny, tiny thing and took a lot of that extra effort on Laura's part but it made it so much easier to ensure that those introductions actually happened. So that's one example of a way where then now she's talking to this person that already has some degree of trust with her through the other person that she was introduced to them by. So the, the next thing we did, another example, if she was reaching out cold, which she did a variety of times, we would either help her find their contact information, like in the form of email, sometimes even phone, actually, uh, or, you know, LinkedIn or whatever the best way to reach that person was. And we could usually make a determination based on, based on their position, based on their company, based on the type of the work that they do, like what would be the, the best way to do that? Would it be LinkedIn? Are they you know, pretty regularly active on LinkedIn? Would it be uh, email? <laughs> because they're pretty likely to be in their email and it's not likely to get lost in there. It really changes on a per person basis. There's not one right way. But then at that point, we'd have her send a message that went a little bit like this. She would do the research to determine what was relevant to that person. And here's just one example. Hey, I, uh, I found you on LinkedIn as I was doing some research. I realized that we went to the same university, you know, go, I forget what her, what her alumni was. <laughs> sure. I don't even remember. Just throw out Hawks. Go I don't ins know. <laughs> insert mascot. Go Hawks. Insert mascot here. Right. And, you know, I was super curious about the work that you do. 
I'm in the midst of a, of a career change and I'm trying to learn more about product management to determine if this is something that I want to pursue. Would you be willing to spend 15 minutes with me? So I could ask you a few questions about what you love and what you don't love about the work that you're doing. If so, just let me know and I'll, I'll, I'll help figure out all the details and coordination. Okay. So why that type of message? Well, the psychology behind that message, first of all, we're creating familiarity uh, by doing something relevant. And it was not like, you can't just use the alumni thing over and over again. I mean, you can, but it's going to vary with results, right? right? The important part here is not that it's a plug and play template. The important part here is we're making it relevant to the other person. And then from there, we're asking for something that they can say yes to. Like if you ask for an hour of people's time, like, I don't, I don't know. I like, we, we struggle to find an hour of my time to be oh, able yeah. to do this. I'm really excited to be here, but we, we struggle to, to be able to fit it in. And that's the experience for a lot of people. That's something that a lot of people are not just, just not able to say yes to. So let's make it something that they in fact can say yes to So that's part of the reason behind the 15 minutes. Now, here's the crazy thing. Um, with Laura's experience, she saw that initially, I think she had someplace between 30 and 40%. Sometimes we'll see a pretty broad range of about 30 to 70% of people would say yes. Mm -hmm. And then from there, uh, she would go and have those conversations. She'd spend the initial 15 minutes. She'd be respectful of their time and say, Hey, you know what? We're coming up on 15 minutes here. Um, I'm happy to go over, but I don't want to assume that, that you do. And then those conversations might last like an hour and a half after wow. that. Damn. Yeah. Yeah. So, so the fun thing here was two things. One, she got to meet a variety of people. She ended up talking to in a relatively short time, over 15 people in her case, we've had people talk to as many as 70 people for this particular type of experiment. And then she learned that innovation was actually not right for her. Mm -hmm. Which that sounds like, okay, when people are in that place, they're usually many months into this, right? You got to right. recognize where they're at. Like my mom, who's a marathon runner, qualified for the Boston marathon. Uh, like she's got more medals than she knows what to do with blah, blah, blah. But she always calls this mile 23. Like mile 23 is where you're so tired and exhausted. You kind of just want it to be over mm -hmm. in many different ways. And this is, this is where Laura was at, at that point. So you have to recognize that that kind of, even though that's a great thing, because now she's not going to pursue, she's not going to pursue uh, innovation. She's now learned something that's possibly going to save her years. Right. right. And that's hard for yeah. people to put into context, right? Like, I think we we're so focused on the day and the week and the month that we forget that like a lot of the success is just not going down these wrong paths, not doing yes. something for, like you said, 10 years and then being like, oh my gosh, I have to start all over again. And I think that there's like, there is this sort of friction that happens because of our insecurities, because of all these different things. Um, be, and I think it also is rooted in this, um, desperation, right. Where people are just like, I need yeah. a job now and I don't want to go through all this. I just want a job, right. I just want it to be over. I just want the, whatever feeling I'm feeling to stop. And, and maybe this is getting worse in the social media, instant gratification culture. I, you know, I'm, I'd be curious what your thoughts are on that, but you know, w when it comes to like pushing through these things, you not only realize like, oh, this is what I do want to do eventually, but you realize like, there's so many more ways to do it. There's so many more opportunities. You might even find a career path that you didn't even expect. I think you and I probably didn't realize coaching was going to be where we ended up when we started meeting people for coffee years ago, right? Could not have predicted that. Yes. <laughs> right? No. And so like, when we think about these emotions and we think about like, following curiosity rather than following desperation, right? And and pushing mm -hmm. through the the discomfort. You know, we talk a lot of what we talk about here is like these are the unconventional approaches to finding a job. And I as a coach, I'm always just like why are these not the conventional approaches? Like why do people get locked in the resumes and the job boards and everything like that? What are your thoughts there? 
it is, first of all, let's acknowledge that the way that most jobs are found, the way that most companies pursue the workflow of bringing and hiring people, reaching, uh, bringing in uh, and, and hiring people is not highly effective. It's not for so many different reasons. And now I don't think that, I don't think that's news to anybody. I think almost <laughs> everyone can look at this and say, this sucks. This is not working. Like, how do we have a situation where we get, you know, 1500. So we just recently hired on uh, three people to our organization and we got uh, th- like, I think around like 1500 or 2000, something so crazy amount of people applying. Like it's, it's just absolutely ridiculous. And we're a relatively small organization. Like I can't imagine what some of the larger, oh gosh, right. even more, even more advertised. And, you know, I used to see that all the time working as an HR leader back when I was in charge of things like recruitment, talent acquisition, and, you know, talent development, those types of things. But it is, it's broken in many different ways. Now that's a much larger, longer conversation that we probably don't have time for on on this podcast at the moment, but I I just want to acknowledge that first. The reason that it happens is because we have this socially accepted method of how recruiting and hiring happens currently. And it is not great, but it is a good enough solution to keep people coming into organizations. Now, what it does, the reason I believe it's broken is because, well, first of all, let's just look at the fact that almost nobody loves their work. Almost nobody is enamored with their work. If we go back to those Gallup stats way back when, like that's proof positive right there, because we also know that when people are working in their strengths, when people are enjoying their work, there is some wonderful evidence to support productivity that comes along with it too. Not from one study, but from many studies. And also there is some other elements to support uh, that leads to healthier people, less stressed, all of the things that companies would benefit from if they're looking at the long-term. At the same time, we're not necessarily looking at the long-term. So we've had this short-term solution that we've just tolerated for, well, it's, how long has it been? I guess it's been relatively similar since the internet really came about at this point. I think the- it's 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 an approach that I think maybe at one point worked fairly well, right? Like I think when it started out and you were yeah. applying to jobs via literal mail or <laughs> like fax, newspaper ads, right? and re- like when, yeah, when exactly. a cover letter was a literal cover letter to let them yep. know what job it was for, because there wasn't a, a digital description that you applied through. It's, it is one of those things where I feel like um, it seems to be a process that doesn't let anything die, but allows everything <laughs> new to be added, right? And so- Yes, it's a great way to think about it. I love that, Martin. And so we're like, we're still doing things that are like a, a carryover from a fax machine and, a, and an envelope that- keep getting re-rationalized and re-justified as like, well, you've got to put them through hoops, right? It's like the number of take-home tests and interviews that people go through just to, you know, get a basic job. I had someone trying to get a, um, like a pretty entry-level role uh, at a company and they had two take-home assignments and I think five or six interviews. And I was just like, this seems way, way, way too much for, for what you're going to end up getting paid at the end of this. And I'm, I'm trying to, you know, we want to keep that curiosity mindset, right? So even as a coach, I'm like, I want to at least like understand this to some degree, because there is, I think, to your point, when you put up a job description, I mean, I've put up ones for like a resume writer in the past. And, you know, again, I'm even smarter than you. And it's like, the number of the flood that comes through. And I, and I think that that's maybe, um, it's maybe an after effect of the globalization and the, and like you said, the internet, right? Like everything used to be just, you're competing with your local environment. So if you're, 
you know, the one software developer or the, you know, 30 software developers in, yeah. in your area, you're going to get a job, yeah. but now you're competing with the best software developers in all of the world, including other countries. And it just becomes this, um, you know, you kind of have to have every individual be an Apple or a Nike when it comes to selling themselves in order to just compete for basic things. Are you seeing sort of the same thing? Well, I think that anytime you have those types of challenging situations, it creates opportunity for the individuals that want to take advantage of that opportunity. Now, first of all, I, I love your point that it has, this is a like leftover product of something that used to work really, really well. I hadn't thought about that in that way. And I think that that is very true. That is amazing. I love that. <laughs> and also you said something else too, that I just want to acknowledge that I would actually take the opposite direction on, which you talked about the entry level role that, you know, had a ridiculous number of interviews and everything. I would argue actually that most organizations do not do enough due diligence. Now, I think that there are other creative ways to be able to pursue that. Like we, we will end up doing probably 15 interviews before we hire someone like, but also some of those roles, we will have them do a paid, like a small paid project. Once we start getting into those later stage interviews, we ask a lot before we bring somebody on board. Mm -hmm. Also, the reason that we do that is I want to ensure that it's creating just as much fit for them as it is for us, because we get highly disproportionate returns as an organization, but I want them to have highly disproportionate returns for what they're getting out of their work at the same time. So what I would argue is that most organizations out there are not going to do that type of due diligence. And it's on us as individuals to take ownership of that and find out, is this truly a fit? Is it truly a fit for me? Is it truly a fit for the other organization that I'm potentially going to work with? Like, do I want to spend my time with these people? There's a, there's a crazy, just absolutely nutty study out there that was, uh, I forget how many years it was like spread over 30 years where they followed all of these close relationships uh, and also you know, second, third, you know, fourth degree connections. And what was just absolutely insane at the end of this, you know, I think it was a 30 plus year study. I'm forgetting exactly how long it was, was that they found that you are impacted by the expectations and the behaviors of people that you haven't even met and don't even know exist in this network because, uh, through other, you know, through your first degree connections mm -hmm. uh, overall. And I'm not talking about like LinkedIn connections. I'm talking about people that you spend an inordinate amount of time with, like the people that they spend time with end up impacting how you behave on a daily basis. Now, the moral of that story and the moral of that, that particular study is that be careful who you are signing on to spend a lot of time with. And that's just another reason out of many for us to make sure that we're doing our own due diligence. We're conducting our own interview process, but it starts with really knowing what you want. So if we go all the way back over to Laura's story, you know, by the time she got to this, this point here where she was doing those test drive conversations, she's doing the social Goldilocks experiment. She was, I think, four or five plus months into this career change process. And again, she wanted to do, quote unquote, do it right. Um, I think it's less about doing it right and more about what is finding what is in fact right for you. Mm -hmm. So at that point in time, she was, she was not only learning what in fact was right for her, but when she did find a couple organizations and also roles and opportunities that she really wanted to dive further into. She now already had the relationships. She, through these conversations with people that she didn't even know prior, she now had the beginnings of relationships where she could go back to them and say, hey, I, I, I am really excited about what we talked about. I would love to know more. I would, I would, or the actual, you know, conversation that she ended up having uh, with something like this with a company called the Predictive Index, which turns out, you know, they, um, well, 
ironically, they do some of the same things that we were talking about, about helping <laughs> organizations do fit and, and things like cool. that. So she was, yeah, she was totally on board with that. She's like, that sounds amazing. I had just literally told my husband that, uh, you know, if I could work someplace that's doing assessments and digging into psychology and everything like that, like if that place existed, then that's the place I'd probably want to work at. And then a few days later, she like learns about this organization. So, you know, she gets to the point where she has this relationship with someone at the organization. And now she can have a different level of conversation, which is, Hey, I really, really appreciate you taking the time. I am really excited about what learned. I would love to figure out how I might work here in the future and what that would take. We interrupt today's episode to let you know about career therapies, unstuck coaching program. If you're feeling paralyzed by job search procrastination and unsure of what to do next in your career, we're here to help each month as a member you will get access to two one-on-one -on -one coaching calls, unlimited virtual chat with your coach via Slack, invitations to bi-weekly group coaching sessions, and lifetime access to our eight-part job search curriculum. Want to take your search to the next level? Head over to careertherapy.com and schedule a free 15-minute consultation to chat with me today and see if coaching is right for you. Now back to our show. It sounds like a ballsy conversation, but not if you think about you already have the relationship with that. So yes, it does take courage to have that type of conversation, but she was in a completely different place. She wasn't just walking in off the street and saying, right. hire me. And she was taking a partnership type of approach where she already had begun the relationship. They already liked her. She'd already had positive feedback. She had learned a lot along the way. And now she's just asking to continue it in a very natural and organic way and figure out together how that might be possible and just simply explore it. I love, and it really brings up something that you have on your site, which is making work more human. And I think that that's something that I, I think is so important in building your career is that you want to take a very human approach to things. You don't want to take these algorithmic approaches. You don't want to take these um, really heavy job board computer approaches, because that's how you end up in these robotic roles that you're disconnected from that, especially now that so many people are remote and you don't ever really yeah. even meet people, you, you kind of need to start looking at it as a relationship. And I think maybe this is something that's changing over time as well, because like most hiring, you know, I think still is done through who knows who in the company knows somebody who knows somebody, right? And this is sort of what you're hinting at. It's, you know, if you meet a bunch of people who work at a company, those loose connections tend to be the strongest ones. We had someone on from uh, who worked at LinkedIn and they, they said, yeah, it's not your first connections. It's your second and third connections that are typically mm -hmm. the best. And I think it, it's quite interesting to look at how people behave when they're nervous and insecure because they think, if I don't tell this person that I want a job right away, then I'm being dishonest. And mm -hmm. one of the things I try to encourage people to realize is like, everyone wants a job. Like that's the baseline. We don't, we almost don't even have to say it because if there's an opportunity to help each other, that's literally the definition of networking at a certain point. And so like, you know, when you, when your first message to someone is, hi, I saw your, I saw that you work at this company and I want to work there. Do you have a job for me? Like, obviously it's the wrong message to send <laughs> on so many different levels. Um, but I always enjoy making the, the sort of uh, comparison to like dating apps in the dating world where it's like, would you really have your first text be, will you marry me? Right? Like your very first message on the app. Yeah. I, I think that might be a bit much, right? You sort of have to build some sort of rapport before you can ask for those things. And it, it's, it's funny that it becomes counterintuitive for people where, what we're telling people to do sounds like the scary, daunting, um, I'm going to get rejected, uh, I'm going to bother people approach because it's a little bit more maybe time cons like time uh, dependent. But truthfully, the way that you annoy people or hurt people or, or ruin relationships is by just jumping straight to the transaction, right? And for some reason, people think being transactional or taking the more transactional approach is the kinder approach when in reality, taking the curiosity approach that you're describing is a far kinder approach and leads to 
outcomes you never would have even expected if you if you you could take the transactional approach and and go the exact wrong direction very often. Um, and so when it comes to that curiosity piece, um, what should people be curious about when it comes to their next job or these conversations? I really, I know I said it earlier, but at the risk of repeating myself, really strongly believe that you have to know yourself well enough or get to know yourself well enough to know and understand what that means for you as it relates to what you need in your work. Otherwise, you're going to be shooting in the dark. Otherwise, you're going to be like throwing darts at the dartboard with blinders on and you're actually going the opposite way and you don't know that your best friend spun you around or whatever. I don't know. Pick an analogy here. So that really must be the beginning. Otherwise, if you think about it like a, a road trip, for example, like if you just get in the car and drive, then you might end up someplace fun with some really crazy stories. I don't know, maybe you end up in the middle of Montana in the middle of winter with no coat and like, or something like that. But it's different if you already understand where it is that you're trying to get to. And I'm not talking about a particular type of occupation. A lot of people think about this occupationally and what we find over and over again within our own uh, our own research at our organization, but also all of the research that I've found otherwise supports this in many different ways too, is that the things that matter far more than the job title or occupation that uh, that are not the ways that we search for <laughs> search for work right now just have a completely different impact on your life. So it's important to dig into those and understand, you know, who are the types of people I said this earlier, but who are the types of people that I want to spend my time around? You know, what amount, what are my financial goals and how does accepting this type of work or this type of offer impact those for the next X number of years or even future years, because now I'm setting a precedent for myself. And those types of considerations are not what we're usually looking at, quite frankly. And I understand because I've been there, I've done the same thing, but I found that if we do a small amount of work to truly identify what it is that we want, where we're going so that we can type in the GPS that we want to go to, I don't know, Miami, Florida, yeah. because it's not cold Montana. I don't know. <laughs> My wife's from Montana. We don't live there. Well, there's a, there's a reason. <laughs> and the, um, it just makes it so much easier. Like if you just think about that really simple logic, if, if I know where I'm going, it's so much easier to build a plan to be able to get there. And it truly was in, in Laura's case too, as soon as she understood what she wanted, what she needed. And as soon as she understood that, Hey, this is one of the organizations that I really want to do it with. It became, well, what's the most effective way to get there? And it turned out for her that this isn't always, you know, this type of path, but it turned out for her, it was just a series of conversations that needed to happen in order to avoid the normal applying for the, she, I don't even think she applied through the normal process. I think, mm -hmm. I, I can't remember exactly what happened, but I know she ended up circumventing the, the, the normal hiring process that that organization had because she'd already done a lot of the preliminary things that you might normally do. So yeah, kind of stepping around the screens in a way. Um, yeah, yeah, absolutely. And absolutely. when it, when it comes to that self-understanding, um, you know, there's a lot of different ways from these conversations that we're talking about. We, we kind of talked about the external, like going out and, you know, verifying your ideas in the real world. Um, uh, but maybe even before getting to that step, let's say someone is just like, all right, I hear you. I know I should but I don't even know who to reach out to yet. What are maybe yeah. some of the internal things that you can do, you know, when it comes to, you know, strengths finding or anything along those lines, is there anything that people can do that you've seen be really effective to at least establish that internal baseline for themselves to kind of be like, well, what am I good at? What do I want to do? Yeah. Well, I'll give you a couple examples of questions, but I, I will also tell you there's no one thing that is really going to be the magic pill. 
not a surprise, right? Like human beings are complex. And that's part of the reason why this is such a challenging question when we're talking about what do I, what do I need? What do I want? What's going to be good for me? What do I not know that I want that I will want in, you know, five years from now, it's a, it's a moving target. We're talking about that dartboard being blindfolded. The dartboard's also moving at the same time, right? So there's all of these dynamics. So it really is a series of actions that I would advise people to take. But let me, uh, I'll say two things. One, uh, because it's a series of actions, we, we have a little, what I would call a primer mini course that, uh, that people can get a series of questions, uh, several per day over a course of a week to just get them started thinking about a different way. And that helps people begin the journey of figuring out what it is that they want and where they might find that within the real world. Now you can, we have that on our website. We over at happentoyourcareer.com, you can go to figureitout.co. That's figureitout.co. And you can pop in your email and then it'll send you one email a day to be able to ex begin to explore. But here's some examples of those questions. So as it relates to strengths, I heard you mention strengths earlier, which strengths make a very large impact if you're spending as little as one to two hours a day more than what you are now working working in your strengths what particularly what we call signature strengths then you literally smile more on average you are more productive you're less likely to have uh there's even well some even some loose links to like heart disease uh those are looser links but either way like the the impacts are profound so in order to identify your strengths those really are those things that make you you that quite frankly, you can't stop doing. We're not talking about like, I'm really good at pivot tables. I mentioned Excel earlier. That's not a strength. Instead, we're talking about what is underneath the surface that's causing pivot tables and Excel to be easier for you from a predisposition standpoint. So in order to find those, you have to look in slightly unconventional ways. One of my favorite questions to ask clients is what are the things that in your past roles, you've gravitated towards, even though they're not a part of your role, where have you seen those patterns? And, you know, crazy things will pop up. For example, you know, had one client, he, <laughs> a lot of, a lot of his family called him OCD because, you know, even when I was talking to him this number of years ago, but I was talking to him and he was in a hotel room and yeah, he's like, yeah, I couldn't, I couldn't even start work until like I fixed the picture frame because <laughs> it wasn't straight and I straightened the lamp. Like, so not a surprise that much of his family called him OCD. Well, he'd always looked at this as a negative in so many different ways, not realizing that the reason that he brings things to order in so many different ways or organizes things is coming from his strengths. Yes, he had seen it show up in what we call the shadow side of your strengths or anti-strengths, like the, the thing that causes, you know, the negative side. But this was actually a really positive thing. And, you know, he worked for a, he worked for a consulting company that is one of the, one of the large ones. You've absolutely heard of it. And so many people, when he would do projects, they would want to be on his team because they knew that everything was going to be impeccably organized, like it was going to be successful. And all of those very positive sides of the strength were coming out there so that he was, he was seeing success in those areas over and over again, but he never really attached these as the same side of, you know, or two, excuse me, I'll say two different sides of the same coin. Mm -hmm over and over again, the shadow side of this one strength and also the positive side of this one strength. So you have to look for those a little bit differently. Now, another great resource for that is strengths finder. Um, but another question that we use too are actually, I'll give you an exercise. This is a fun one. You might've already done this one. This is pretty simple to do in pull out a piece of paper, anyone can do this. Just pull out a piece of paper on the left-hand side, write all of your past roles, um, jobs, you know, opportunities, and just like leave some space in between. And then on the right-hand side, you can go through and list what were the parts that you loved about those, those roles. 
Uh, and also underneath, uh, underneath that, you can write what were the parts that you felt that you were best at during those roles or opportunities or whatever they are, volunteer or otherwise. And then begin to observe the patterns over and over again. So it's not necessarily in the initial answers. It's in the, after you get done, after you've gone through that exercise, being able to pull out, well, what are the patterns? Oh, I've been in this role where I'm required to write reports over and over again, but what I keep doing and what I'm good at is I was doing a great job of interacting with other people and having them buy into the information from those reports because I can't stop doing that because that part is fun for me. Okay, there's probably something there underneath the surface that gives you a clue as to what your strengths might be. So really, really simple exercise, but a lot of times from that simple exercise, we see profound relationships or profound connections or profound patterns that give us clues. They aren't always the answer, but they give us clues as to what the strengths might be. So there's a couple examples for you. I love that. And just to reiterate a couple of those things, you know, asking yourself that question of what are the things you can't stop doing? I think that's how I ended up in coaching and I'm sure you've seen many things on your end and then observe the patterns. I think observing the patterns in our career, both good and bad is just the way to go. And so I really appreciate you sharing both of those as we get to the end of the conversation here. And um, just to sort of, you know, bring it all together, uh, where can people find out more about you and what sort of things you have going on that people should be looking out for? Absolutely. First of all, thanks for having me on and great questions. This has been a fun conversation. I really, really appreciate it. I appreciate you being here. Happentoyourcareer.com, H-A-P-P-E-N, as opposed to your career happening to you. So happentoyourcareer.com is our home base. Everything is over there. The podcast, which is also called Happen to Your Career. If you like podcasts, you know, like if you're listening to this one right now, (laughs) then probably like podcasts, I'm guessing. So that is another really wonderful resource and gives you most of, most of the people that we have on there are stories of real people who have made these unicorn type changes over and over again, and they're sharing exactly how they they did it. So that's another wonderful resource. And I would say the very best way to get started is that resource that I mentioned earlier, where it's an eight day mini course, what we call the figure it out mini course that helps you begin understanding what specifically you need out of, out of work. And that's a really wonderful primer for different ways to think about this other than, you know, all the ways that we have talked about that don't necessarily work that are left over from when we used to send faxes and that's how we, you know, did jobs and stuff. So, uh, figure it out.co is another way to do that. Or you can, you can get directly linked over there when you go to happen to too. So I would invite people to go over there, check it out. And I think that you'll have another, another set of wonderful ways to get started here. And thank you again. I really yeah, appreciate it. Mark. No, everyone go, go to those links. We'll be putting them in the show notes as well. And uh, Scott, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with us today and, and share these insights. I think we dug into some areas that, you know, everyone is maybe, maybe they know they need to move in that direction, but they just needed that push and that, that confidence. And I, I really appreciate you sharing that with us. Absolutely. My pleasure. Thanks for joining us for today's episode. If you found this conversation to be helpful, please like and subscribe wherever you are listening. We also appreciate it if you take the time to leave us a review on iTunes. It really does help us spread the word and get these ideas out to more job seekers looking to build their careers and improve their lives just like you. If you'd like to learn more about career therapy and see our different coaching options, you can head over to careertherapy.com to learn more. Thank you again for stopping by. We wish you all the best in the future of your career. Have a good one.